to love the God and to fear the flame and to burn the crowd that has a Welcome to the Portugal podcast. My name is Matthew Marshall and it's another mission. This time, the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine. I'm following Portugal at the 2022 European Under-17 Championship. They're in Group D alongside Scotland, Sweden and Denmark. Portugal have won the tournament four times at Under-16 level and have won it twice at Under-17 level in 2003 and 2016. It's a very different part of the world than the ones I've lived in. I'll be moving around a bit, seeing as much as I can see. Of course, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is complicated, sad. It's one of the longest ongoing conflicts in the world. On March 28, there was a terrorist attack in Tel Aviv with five people killed. Less than two weeks later, 7th of April, in the busy bar area in Dizengoff Street in Tel Aviv, three people died, more wounded. And just a few days ago, on the 11th of May, 51-year-old Shireen Abu Akleh, an Al Jazeera journalist and television reporter, was killed. She was covering a raid by Israeli military in Jenin. And of course, getting an independent inquiry is uh, almost next to no chance, with both sides blaming each other. You might have seen some footage of the Israeli police and the mourners carrying her coffin in, uh, in Jerusalem. It's really at the very heart of the conflict here and so much historical tension in Jerusalem. I've had a few nights here. I got here a bit early so I could have a really good look around and get to know this city. Had a couple of walks up to the Mount of Olives, staying near Damascus Gate, which is really interesting. I've had a couple of day trips. I went to see Masada, one of Israel's most well-known tourist attractions, of course. Herod the Great built a large fortress there and some palaces. It was the site of a very important and well-known siege. After the Romans had conquered Jerusalem, a group of extremist Jews held up there, the Romans building a huge ramp, eventually getting in there. And once they got in there, they realized that they had all killed each other. So interesting story and a very impressive fortress. And Getty Nature Reserve and Oasis, you could spend a whole day there, hiking, walking around, just beautiful. And you could see a lot more places around that part of the world with a car and a bit more time. So many palm trees, so many dates. And uh, I went on another trip to see the Dead Sea, to see Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, the Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized. Quick look at Jericho, which is claimed to be one of the oldest cities in the world. Part one will start in Lod, where Portugal start their campaign against Scotland. We will stay with the team until their final game in Israel, hopefully after winning the title in Netanyahu Part 2. I'll be speaking to some people in the Portuguese camp so they can talk about their experiences in the Holy Land and get a bit of an insight into this team. Music for this podcast is coming from a band called Live. They were huge around 1994 with their second album, Throwing Copper, selling over 8 million copies. They released third album in 97. I think their fourth album, Distance to Here, is one of their best in 99. They played some gigs in 2017 and 2019. So there's probably a good chance that they will play some more gigs. So one of the best ways you can support bands these days, getting along and seeing the live show.
Here we are in Lod, Portugal, starting their tournament against Scotland. Good to see Dario Asugu in the starting side. He's got a lot of talent. He's dropped down from the under-19 squad. Apart from that, no real changes. And a whole bunch of weapons off the bench. I'm sure we're going to see guys like Rodrigo Ribeiro, Joao Gonçalves. And uh, really looking forward to catching a glimpse of the two new guys, Manuel Mendonça and Rivaldo Semedo. A few dramas, of course. Jose Lima, not here, the manager. He got COVID. But with the technology these days, I'm sure he's had a lot of contact with the team. Got his messages across. And uh, I don't think it's going to affect them too much. Fair few people here, of course. They're bringing a fair few loads of uh, groups of school kids which is always good to see. They'll get a, a good experience here today. A couple of minutes away from kickoff. There we go, Portugal 1-0, eighth minute. It was Leonardo Barroso down the left wing. We've seen that a lot in the qualification games. The cross has come in and Lima managed to find the net. There we go, everything's coming down the left side. This time, even Lima again, he's gone through. And the cross has fallen nicely for Jose Rodrigues, and he's finished really nicely. Portugal, clearly the superior team here. Scotland haven't had a shot yet. <laughs> 36 minutes, it's a penalty. Afonso Moreira with the cross. And it's Jack Kingdon, the right back, who is he's just getting overloaded all the time. It's just gone from bad to worse, unfortunately, for the young right back. It's Robert also, is it? He's going to step up. Finally, some noise from the crowd here. It's, you could hear a pin drop for most of this first half, but the kids here getting a bit excited now with a spot kick. Too, too easy. Half time in Lod, 3 0, Portugal. Long way back here for the Scots. Oh. Sixty-second minute. And Scotland have got a goal back. It's their first shot of the game. And it's Magnus McKenzie. Beautiful goal. He's cut in from the left wing. And then fired the ball past Diogo Fernandes. Can they come back? Portugal. Still winning 3-1. Rui Bento's made a couple of changes here. João Veloso and Dinis Rodrigues have made way. Two debutantes, Manuel Mendonça and Vivaldo Semedo. Really looking forward to seeing these two guys in action. Oh, there we go. Vamos! <laughs> And it's 4-1. Scotland had a lot of pressure and the goal has actually come from a Scottish corner. The ball's just been basically hoofed out of defence and Afonso Moreira has picked it up. Scottish defenders completely fell asleep and he's charged all the way from his own half. Scottish goalkeeper Jacob Pazikas left in absolute no-man's land. He got a touch on it, but the ball's found the net. 
as we move into the 70th minute. A couple more changes here. Usman Chalo and Ivan Lima having a nice stroll back to the technical area. And it's Raul Gonzalez. Scored that peach of a goal. Looked really good in the qualifying stage as well. The rebel with the long hair. And Rodrigo Ribeiro scored that hat-trick against Finland. He's come on. That's the strength that Portugal have. I mean, the bench is just so strong. And they could just keep bringing players off who can make a difference. Oh. This could get ugly for Scotland here. It's 5-1. It's the right back. The cross has come in and found Ribeiro. What a classy player he is. And it just looked like he was never going to miss. This game's just cruising to the finish line now. And uh, Portugal have really stepped on the gas. Scotland are really showing their frustrations. It's just been yellow card after yellow card after yellow card. Joao Gonçalves showing his class. Mendonça, he's actually been getting quite involved. He just had a free kick that was met by Vivaldo Semedo, the striker. He's headed it wide. But this has been a pretty comfortable victory, really. I think Scotland had one shot, which was the goal. Portugal clearly the superior team here. And this is a good victory to kick off the campaign here in Israel. I mean, Lod, where Portugal looks strong, scoring five goals against Scotland in their opening match. It's in the southeastern part of Tel Aviv, on the outskirts, just south of the airport. It's been inhabited for a very long time. They found pottery here, which is over 7,000 years old. And famous for a, a man called George, who was a soldier in the Roman army. He was sentenced to death for refusing to recant his Christian faith, executed in the year 303. He became a saint and a martyr and a very important person in the Christian world. He was very important in the Crusades, the legend of the dragon, which he supposedly slayed with his lance to save the king's daughter. He became the patron saint of England. Of course, his cross is on the national flag of England. And George was actually important for Portugal, important in the victory against the Castilian faction in the Battle of Al Jubarota in 1385, and became the patron saint of Portugal in the reign of Jean I, Dom Juan. The reach of George far and wide, and you can still go and see what's supposedly his remains in the sarcophagus there. There's a church in Lod, right next to a mosque and right next to a synagogue. An interesting place to visit should you ever find yourself in southeastern Tel Aviv. I'm staying with a very nice Jewish woman here in Lod. It's in an apartment complex and I thought I could hear someone listening to Speedy Gonzalez, the good old Looney Tunes cartoons. I thought I might have been on really loud volume. Turns out it wasn't the local guy who's got his hands on a karaoke machine. 
and uh, he's giving it loud and proud pretty much all day long. So loud, you really have to close the windows. So that's been an interesting part of my experience here in Log. I gave him a little bit of a record just so you can get a good idea of what I'm talking about. Thankfully, he gave it up around 11 o'clock, been able to get some sleep. And exactly a year ago here in May 2021, Lod was put into a state of emergency. There was some huge problems here, riots, and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had to declare a state of emergency. Thankfully now, everything seems fine. And looking forward to Portugal's second game, they take on Sweden, who beat Denmark 2-1 in their opening game. and Sweden have taken the lead. I was a little bit worried about Portugal's setup looking really offensive and it was the striker out on the left wing, Emmanuel Tanol. Cross has come in to the main man, Jadel Kanga, and he's three defenders around him but no one's got the ball and he's taken a touch and a simple finish. Having the first drinks breaks here, 25th minute, Sweden still 1-0 up. We've seen Yusuman Jalou drop back a little bit to try and give Dario Asugo some help in central midfield. You're seeing guys like Ravaloso and Jalou playing so high. It's almost like a four-man, five-man attack at times. Oh! 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 33rd minute, Portugal have equalised. It was Danish Rodriguez out on the left wing. His cross was too deep, but... Martin Fernandez did really well to win the ball. He sent the cross back in. Rodrigo Ribeiro with a very nice header into the corner of the net. Game on. Oh, oh, oh. oh. And that didn't take long. Portugal have taken the lead. That was some terrible defending there. Travel also has absolutely robbed the ball and a lovely finish with the outside of his boot. Disaster there from the Swedish number six. That's a lovely finish. That's, that's a peach. Come on. Man. Let's go. Oh! In added time, 3-1. Portugal taking control of this game now. It was Jalou. And they're just starting to dominate the game now with Jalou dropping deeper. And when he's not, Veloso comes in. So, And Jalou just rolled the ball back across the face of the 18-yard box. And it's Afonso Moreira. No one anywhere near him. He's taken a touch and fired it into the bottom corner. Portugal in full control now. 
Oh, easy. Oh! Is Jalo on fire today, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 60th minute, and it's 4 1. Usman Jalo, ball's come out to Alfonso Moreira. He's crossed it back in, and there's just no Swedish defenders anywhere near the ball. And it's an easy finish for Shrava Lozel. We're winding down here in Lod. Portugal 4 2 up. Sweden actually got a goal back. Leonardo de Oliveira. And no, he's not Portuguese. Born in Porto, but uh, looks like he's got some Swedish parents, one or the other. And it was just a long ball upfield. Portugal didn't clear it. And it was a nice finish into the top corner. And Portugal have really just controlled this game now. Packing the midfield and just slowing Sweden down. A good win after falling behind early on. They have a couple of days to refresh themselves before they take on Denmark in Ramatgan. Here we go, Remit Gan. Portugal about to take on Denmark. Five changes for Jose Lima with these games coming thick and fast in a very hot part of the world. Looking forward to seeing Rafael Luis. He's a tall central midfielder. He's come in for Usman Jalol. And Luis Gomes, central defender. He'll partner Diogo Monteiro today. It's taken 20 minutes for Portugal to have their first shot here. Even Lima down the left wing. Gets it over to Dinish Rodriguez. Makes a little bit of space. Shot was saved. Out for a corner. But you'd have to say Denmark dominating the first 20 minutes or so. Number nine. Elias Hansborg Sorensen looking pretty dangerous down that left wing and the central midfielder and captain Julius Beck getting on the ball and really the focal point of this team <laughs> 30th minute Portugal have taken the lead even Lima he's looked the most dangerous by a long way down that left wing. He just created a chance for Rafael Luis. This time he's just done it all himself. Surged into the box and from a tight angle he's blasted it into the net. Theo Sander, goalkeeper for Denmark, couldn't handle the pace of it. Portugal really hadn't created much at all. So good for them to take the lead. Half time, Portugal 1 0. Very few chances here, certainly for Portugal. And Denmark, it's really all about the left winger. Hansborg Sorensen, he's getting way too much space, winning that battle against João Conceição. He's had a few dangerous shots, he's had some crosses that have caused a lot of problems. So Portugal really need to do a little bit better in stopping him rampaging down the left wing but Portugal in control here at the moment Denmark has started the second half pretty strong and I think Portugal could consider themselves a bit lucky that uh, they didn't concede a penalty Travel also went down right on the edge of the 18 yard box he's clearly handled the ball it looked clear as day from here I'm starting to get conditioned for the old VAR but no VAR here so Portugal survive Portugal have just gone close. Two great chances for Ibeiro. 
Portugal are just cutting through down this left wing. First one was Barroso. His cross came over to Ribeiro. He headed over the bar. And then a minute later, that's even Lima. Even better chance. And he's volleyed it. But the keeper has done really well to save it and keep his uh, country in the game. And it was a good thing he saved it because Denmark have equalised. Pretty simple move. It's gone down the right wing and it's Sansa who's looked pretty dangerous. Cut the ball back. And no one Nati. No one anywhere near him. And he's had a pretty simple finish. Game on. Well, it's all happening in Ramatgan. We've had more action in the last five minutes than we had in pretty much the opening half. As Jose Lima is about to make a couple of changes. Denis Rodriguez really hasn't done much in the last two games. He makes way. Vivaldo Semedo, we saw him in the first game against Scotland. And Ribeiro, who just had those two chances, making way for Afonso Moreira. Yeah! 70th minute, Denmark 2-1, and it's the danger man, the guy I mentioned. Portugal had to try and shut down. They haven't done it on this occasion. Tansberg Sorensen just got into the box, showed good pace and strength, and even better finishing to beat Diogo Fernandes. Got to say they've, they've come out in the second half well. Portugal look like they might come to rue those missed chances from Ribeiro. As we have 20 minutes to go here in Ramat Gan. Afonso Moreira getting plenty of ball out on that right wing. As we move into the 75th minute, I'm surprised Jose Lima hasn't made a change in midfield yet with time running out as Portugal search for an equaliser. 78th minute. Gonçalves, can he make a difference? Got Usman Jalo, Emmanuel Mendonça warming up with 10 minutes to go. Injury to Denmark, keeper allows Jose Lima to have a word to his team, which he desperately needs to do. Oh, oh, oh. Ivaldo Semedo just had a great chance there, even Lima sending him straight through. Got to give credit, Theo Sander made another good save, Denmark keeper. Charlotte's about to replace Travaloso, I would say, but it's a bit too late, 88th minute, not much time left here. Diogo Fernandes just made a fantastic save. He'd fallen over and he's managed to kick the ball over the bar. Game over. Denmark 3-1. It's a free kick. Just teased into the six-yard box. It looks like an own goal. Could be Lewis Gomes, I think, with the own goal.
just getting ready to leave Tel Aviv. Disappointing second half last night against Denmark, but Portugal have some time to regroup, get ready for that Spain match, which is going to be a cracker, I'm sure. I had a really interesting time in Tel Aviv. I started off down in Rishon on the southern side with a really nice man, Ronan and his wife. His kids are all grown up and moved out and uh, the room I was staying in there had a really heavy door on it and I asked him what was going on with the door and he said that sometimes the alarm goes off, the rocket alarm, and everyone has 60 seconds to get in there and that part of the building is all bomb-proof, rocket-proof. So that was interesting and also I stayed on the southern side on the beach in Bat Yam, which is a well, there's construction everywhere you go, really, in Israel, particularly on the coastal areas. And I walked up to Jaffa, which is the oldest part and the nicest part, I would say, of Tel Aviv. Really small, but quite nice there. I spoke to a friend of mine who has a lot of experience in this part of the world seen it from all sides that was really useful and interesting to try and get a more understanding of the holy land where i was staying in rabbit gam was actually really close to those two terrorist attacks i mentioned earlier on i can't say it's really anything i've been thinking about in any detail but for sure it just makes you think twice i guess going to a bar area but i mean the cost of things in israel you notice it straight away when you get here. It was ranked the most expensive city in the world recently. It's also really bad for traffic congestion. So I'm looking forward to getting out of here, heading north to Akko, a place I've read about a lot. Lost in Enjoying my last few minutes in Akko, a really fantastic place on the north coast of Israel, about 120 kilometers north of Tel Aviv, not too far away from the border of Lebanon. It's one of the oldest continuously inhabited places on the planet, the gateway to Galilee, and the port has just been so important here for so many years. It was a very important city in the Crusades, very important to the Templars, and all the factions trying to get a foothold here in the Holy Land during that time. 
It was the last Crusader stronghold to fall in 1291 and really signalled the end of what was about 200 years of Christians fighting over control of the Holy Land and Jerusalem. Just so many layers of history here, of course, after the Mamluks defeated the Christians here. They destroyed the place, like so many of the fortifications, especially along the coast here, and then rejuvenated by the Ottoman Empire. Even Napoleon had a crack at Akko in 1799, but he couldn't get it done. He had to uh, give up his dreams in the Holy Land. In the last hundred years in Akko, you've seen the demographic change from a predominantly Muslim city to a predominantly Jewish city. I had a great time in Akko, right in the heart of it, getting in amongst it, seeing how they're living here. I'm on my way back down the coast now to Natanya, where Portugal will be taking on Spain. I'll see you there. Here we are, Natanya, Portugal taking on Spain. Really intriguing clash with Portugal scoring 10 goals in the group stage, but unfortunately conceding six, Spain scoring five goals, conceding just once, that from a late penalty. So a real contrast in goals for and against. Spain, of course, so strong at every youth level. Going to be a really tough challenge. Can Portugal rise to the occasion? Of course, so much strength out wide with Afonso Moreira. Even Lima and Rodrigo Ribeiro, all scoring twice, and Travel also with three goals. So no doubt they can score as Portugal run over to kick some balls into what is a very, very small crowd here. Let's see what's going to go down in the Tanya. Portugal have taken the lead. Spain started the match really strong, had two good chances, but for a team that hadn't conceded in open play, they have gifted one to Portugal in a way. It was a terrible pass along the 18-yard box from out wide, and it's landed straight to Afonso Moreira, and he's taken a touch with his chest, and that left foot smacked it past Nono. Excellent start. Portugal 1-0, 10 minutes done. Seventeenth minute, it's one-one. It's just a cross into the box. That's been headed into the path of the man who made the error for the uh, for the opening goal, Bonner. And he's got some good purchase on that with his head. Wrong-footed, Diogo Fernandes, and it's one-one. Half-time in Natanya, one-one. It was all happening in the first twenty minutes or so. Spain with a couple of great chances. Afonso Moreira capitalising on a poor pass. But then, ball into the box. Flicked onto the back post. Bonnard on hand to head it into the net. Hasn't been a whole lot of chances for the rest of the half. Second half coming up. I mean, the skill being shown by Juan Valozo is just ridiculous. He sent Denis Rodriguez through on goal. who managed to get the ball over Nono ball coming back off the post 
And then Veloso again setting up Ivan Lima, who couldn't get enough curl on the ball. And he sent it wide. But Joao Veloso really, really impressing. Another chance of Portugal. Rodriguez this time sending Ivan Lima through. And he's blasted it high and wide. Three good chances. Really positive signs here. This is going to frustrate Spain. They've been used to dominating games, monopolising possession and being in front. So the longer Portugal can maintain this, of course, the better is. Afonso Moleda. Oh, shot blocked. Penalty, penalty. <laughs> Moleda's got into the box. He's had a shot. And Jacek Kasiorowski, he's handled it. Penalty. Oh, it's Danish Rodriguez. Going to take this. Looks like he's getting ready for the left foot. I thought it would be João Veloso. Denis Rodriguez, too easy. Goal. 2-1. So this is the first time Spain have been behind in a tournament, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago this is a test for them now they're not used to this Spain really only had one chance in the second half that was Fortuny one of the substitutes who shot wide from outside the 18 yard box but not creating much at all and you can see some little signs of frustration particularly Antonio Moreno 15 minutes to go in the Tanya I need some support guys I'm getting way too nervous. <laughs> Moral support. Here we go. Vamos! Calma, calma, calma. At a time. Even Lima just had a great chance to put the game to bed. It was saved, but Martin Fernandez just gone down the right wing. Went on a great run won himself a corner there can't be much time to go at all here shows that Lima's trying to waste some of it with Mendonca coming on for even Lima can't be much time left here they've done it held on some late pressure from Spain who are devastated as you can imagine they're lying on the ground fantastic job Portugal they'll take on France here in the semi-finals it was a great team performance you know they had to lift themselves back from that disappointing game against Denmark but the team spirit you can see is very high that second half was sensational of course Spain were going to come home strong but Portugal turning up time and time again blocking shots making crucial clearances that's going to be a very tough game against France but anything can happen in football and Portugal are going to gain plenty of confidence from this win they had a five o'clock flight booked to go back to Portugal tomorrow morning that's how it works but they're going to have to make a phone call cancel that with a semi-final coming up was wrong Is alone in a dream with a mind of its own.
had a really nice day on the beach here in Netanya, which is a really nice part of Israel, I must say. I think the most pleasant part of Israel, a lot of beach action, plenty of paragliding, and quite a pleasant place to be. Yesterday I took another day trip up to Caesarea Maritima, which was an ancient city built by Herod the Great in the Roman style, right on the coast, beautiful location. And he had a palace there right on the water, built on rocks. Must have been quite a sight to behold. And you can still see quite a lot of it, or what used to be there. Theatre, a hippodrome, a very small section of the port, which extended way out from uh, what you can currently see there. And then walking further along the coast, you see the aqueduct along the beach. Really interesting place to see, and surrounding it, if you've ever been to Val de Lobo or Quinto de Lago in the Algarve, it's a little bit like that, with some golf courses and uh, upper-class living, you might say. All right, I'm getting ready for the semi-final. Back to Natania Stadium. It's going to be a huge challenge against France, but Portugal showed against Spain that they can beat the best. Let's see how they get on. Back in Natania, where Portugal are about to kick off against France in the semi-finals. It's hot here today in Israel. I'm wondering if that might be a factor in the final 20 minutes or so. France conceding three late goals against Netherlands in their final group stage match, although hard to read too much into that one with a lot of changes being made by the manager José Alcocer. No surprises, he's made no changes from that team that got past Germany in the quarterfinals. They had to do it the hard way through a penalty shootout. Missed their first two spot kicks, but held their nerve to go through. They really dominated most of that match. Should have won it in regulation time. And Portugal, of course, getting past Spain in this stadium in the quarterfinals, 2-1. Really good effort. Denis Rodrigues with the winning goal from the penalty spot. He's been dropped, actually. Jose Lima brought in Rodrigo Ribeiro. Ribeiro, a bit more effective out wide, where he might be able to do some damage. France's central defence, an absolute giant's Mamadou Saar, he's already six foot tall. And El Shadiale Bichiabu. The guy's 1.96 metres tall, 17 years old. I'm not sure what they're feeding their kids these days. I mean, you see it with a lot of the teams. They are huge, they're massive, and it's uh, really incredible. You think these French central defenders are going to keep growing, or what? Is that, is that enough? Huh? Maybe look, look he, at the wants, size of them. he wants to reach the, the three meters. Like 16, 17 years old. Wow. Eighth minute. And France are ahead. Even Lima is uh, trying to get past two players in his own half. Unfortunately, lost possession. And it's essential midfielder, Warren Zaire Emery. He's picked the ball up and slammed it from a long way out. And it's flown past Diogo Fernandes into the top corner. Doesn't get much better than that, unless you're supporting Portugal. Come on. 
leg long. Portugal have equalised in the 12th minute. France giving the ball away. Jalo picking it up in a very dangerous spot. Laying it out to Afonso Moreira. And he's picked his spot, slammed it into the bottom corner of the net. Hit it true and straight. And that was a great response. That's a goal, that's the goal of the tournament. Dario Asugu, he's picked up the ball about 40 yards out. And he's, unle <laughs> he's unleashed an absolutely unstoppable shot into the top corner of the net. It just doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. It just doesn't get any better than that. Portugal, 2-1 up. Unbelievable. Woo! I haven't really been threatening too much on goal about 37 minutes in and it's tell from distance. He's curled an effort. He's managed to get past Diogo Fernandes but not past the post. 42nd minute. Portugal sitting a bit too deep. Inviting quite a lot of pressure now. It's always difficult in these big matches. When you're taking the lead, sometimes it's human nature to sit back. We saw that, didn't we, against when Portugal took on Serbia in that final World Cup qualifier. Oh. <laughs> terrible, terrible moment at a time. It's just a harmless cross, really, from Valentin at Tangana. It looks like one of the central defenders kind of got in the way of Diogo Fernandes and well it has to be an own goal very disappointing right on the stroke of half time it's 2-2 two, two. did you see I couldn't what are they saying it's off Joao Monish is it it's actually come off Joao Monish the uh, central defender so that's really unlucky first change and it's Afonso Moreira. I mean, he picked up that early knock, and you can see he's, he's been struggling with that. He's been limping around quite quite often. He's only lasted 10 minutes here, so we've got Fernando Semedo. Not Denis Rodriguez. He's going to play up front, which is going to see Ribeiro out to the right wing. We're going to see a double switch here. It's going to be Mendonca. Dinish Rodriguez. Interesting. We're going to have two strikers on the field. Even Lima's been hurt going up for a challenge with Saar. One of the giant central defenders from France. That's unfortunate. Oh, this is bad. They're bringing on the uh, medical golf cart. This is just not what you want to see. It's not what you want to see at all. It's all about Ivan Lima. And he's being driven off the pitch with his neck in a brace. And hopefully he's going to get some excellent medical treatment here. 78th minute. 
and Sonetta's just gone really close, heading Stromobolozzo's corner just wide. Players look like they've managed to get their focus back on the game. Looks like we're going to have a penalty shootout in the Tanya as they gather in a circle around Jose Lima, who I have to say in the last couple of matches has cut a very confident figure. It's going to be Joao Gonçalves. He's going to take the first kick here. Gonçalves steps up with his left foot. Easy. Takes a little short step there. Sent the keeper the wrong way. First French player to take the kick as a substitute. Axel Guéguin. He's not going to take much of a run up at all here. A couple of steps. But he puts it away in the top right hand corner. Very confident indeed. Joao Moniz, scorer of the own goal. Centre back for Portugal. <laughs> As uh, the French keeper there, Olmeda, he's got himself booked for being annoying. Moniz, easy. That's another substitute, Diallo now for France. He steps up, straight down the middle. And it's Denis Rodriguez taking a very straight run up. Easy. Lifts it into the top corner once again. All the penalties have been really well taken so far. And it's Kabamba, another substitute. Just taking one of those strange run-ups that doesn't fill you with much confidence whatsoever. Ooh. Wasn't a great penalty. Fernandes, he's got a hand to it, I think. But not strong enough to divert it wide. Dario Esugu, scorer of that magnificent goal. He steps up. Bang. Straight down the middle. And it's Biar. Another short run up. Now nah, he's made that one. Usman Jalo really impressed me in this tournament. Central midfielder. He steps up. Beautiful. Into the roof of the net. So now all the pressure on France now. And it's going to be Tell trying to keep his country in the contest. Doesn't look too uh, eager to get up there and put the ball on the spot. Very, very slow walk to the penalty spot. Oh, it looks like it's come off the bar into Diogo Fernandes and then into the goal. That was so lucky, man. That was ridiculous. And it's Mendonca trying to keep this perfect run of penalties going. Takes a big, deep breath, starts his run up. And it's been saved. It was a bit of a weak penalty. An old meta. He's died the right way. Got a big hand to it. So it's a centre back. Bichiabu. And he's done it. It just doesn't get much more unlucky than that for Portugal because if Diogo Fernandes didn't dive the right way, then Tell's penalty just would have bounced back into play and it would have been Portugal going through but this match has been overshadowed by a terrible injury to even Lima and all of the thoughts are with him
Portugal will be on their way home after such a heartbreaking penalty shootout defeat to France in the semi-finals. I'll be here for a couple of more days until the end of the tournament, France against Netherlands. It's really ironic actually that uh, the day that Portugal exited the tournament was Jerusalem Day. It's a national holiday that celebrates or commemorates the Six-Day War in 1967 where Israel basically took control of East Jerusalem and there are a lot of marches, a lot of flag waving. Unfortunately, a lot of bad behavior on the Jewish side, chanting some pretty ugly things. And that's the sort of thing that tends to go on, I guess, provocation. And it's really just what seems to be a never-ending battle for control of Temple Mount. That's why it's really good to plan a fair bit of time in Jerusalem because you might arrive on a day or days when there is a fair bit of unrest and it's not going to be safe to be walking in the old town. It would be a shame to go all the way there and get there on a day where your movement is going to be limited. But for sure, Jerusalem is a must-see city and a place you should definitely try and get to if you haven't already. I'm going to enjoy my last little bit of time here in Netanya and soak up a bit more sunshine. I'll be in touch once I touch down at home and get ready for part two of the podcast. I've finally made it home and I can't say how happy I am to be here and how relieved I was when the plane was taking off from Tel Aviv airport. Not the best experience I've had at an airport. Certainly happy to get back. It was a pretty hectic three and a half weeks in the Holy Land, I have to say. I got around a fair bit and I'm exhausted. I just feel like I need to lie down and do nothing. Not only physically, but just mentally. Just drained. On the last day, as I was waiting for the train to go to the airport, I had three guys to the left of me in plain clothes all with machine guns I had a bloke on the other side of the platform shorts and t-shirt he had a machine gun and I had a guy to the right of me who was in his green army gear and he also had a machine gun after a while you just get used to it but initially it does take some getting used to you see guys were walking down on the beachfront with their girlfriends with machine guns you see guys going fishing with with pistols strapped on. It does take a while to get used to all the guns. Once you get out there and start to see how people are living outside of Tel Aviv, Palestinians and Jews, it's confronting. And the more people you speak to, the more perspectives you will get. And some of them might be challenging, but it's all due to just different perspectives and different experiences people have had living in different parts of the world. I don't really know how to wrap everything up except to say that for eternity, human beings have looked up at the sky, seen the sun, seen the seasons change, seen thunder, lightning, animals, and they've tried to understand how this was all created, and they've also tried to understand what happens after you die. They are the two big questions for humankind, 
although you would have to say that science has largely answered the first question. But people all over the world have always believed in gods, deities, and other supernatural beings. Africa, Egypt, Mesopotamia, you look at the Greeks and Zeus, you look at the Scandinavians, North mythology, Germanic mythology, Thor, all the Roman gods, paganism. Look at Native America, look at the Incan culture, Maya culture, the Aztecs. You've got the Polynesians and all their variations, the Maoris. In Australia, of course, the indigenous Australians and their creation stories, the dream time. You've got Buddhism, Hinduism, and of course, Islam, Judaism, Christianity. All those things I mentioned are basically just the same thing, which is, again, trying to understand how the world was created and what happens after you die. And there's a lot to like about religion, for sure. Ideas about morality, choosing the right thing to do in difficult situations, remembering our loved ones. If religion helps people to live their lives in a better way, then I'm all for it. It's a great thing. I don't think there's any doubt that Jesus existed, and I'm sure that he had some great ideas, and he tried to spread those ideas about peace, respect, community, love, ideas everyone can agree with. And you heard with George, who became St. George, and how far and wide a myth can travel and how important it can become and how distorted the original message can get and how bits and pieces can get added to it. For instance, the slaying of the dragon, which came hundreds of years after George existed. I think it's pretty clear that the story around Jesus also got changed and got used because once we get into Son of God, once you get into stuff like resurrection and dying for our sins, then for me it starts to become unbelievable. And of course, if you understand Christianity, for hundreds of years Christians were persecuted. It was only until Emperor Constantine really stopped that persecution that Christianity flourished, and of course it got adopted all throughout the Roman Empire. It spreads all around the world, displacing many of those gods, deities, and belief systems that other cultures had in place, because missionaries traveled around the world basically saying that God and Jesus is the, is the true belief, and that's what you should believe in now. And it's sad, honestly, to go around the world and see a lot of these cultures and their gods that have just been basically wiped out and been replaced with churches. But that's another story for another day. The problem with religion is just division. The human race has had divisions from the very beginning, race, color, ethnicity, gender, class. Religion is just another way humans divide and come up with reasons why they can't get along. At the end of the day, it's all about power. A lot of it's about money. A lot of it's about control. If you look at the power of the Vatican and the Pope, then that's another part of religion or part of Christianity that is disturbing. And the war, the drama and the killing that's happened in the name of religion throughout the world for thousands of years. If you just look at Portugal, a small country, a country that's founded on religious war, a country that's founded on a belief that the Muslims had no business being in Iberia and they were only there on a temporary basis and the Christians were always going to reclaim that land. So Portugal is a country that's founded on Christian war against Muslims. Look at the Crusades, look at the Christians going to the Holy Land, controlling so many of those ancient cities and fortifications, controlling Jerusalem, slaughtering everybody in Jerusalem when they took it over. 
Look at King Sebastian, who in 1578 thought he could take over Morocco, wage his own little crusade, his own little holy war, reconquer a lot of that territory in Africa, wipe out the Muslims in Africa. What a crazy idea. What an insane thing to even contemplate, yet alone put into practice and get to a position where you're taking an army to Morocco in June with a bunch of wealthy nobles behind you and just walk your entire nation into a slaughter. And not only that, you don't leave an heir. So Philip II of Spain becomes king of Portugal, which starts 60 years of Spanish dominance of Portugal, the first step in Portugal's economy becoming a complete disaster. And when Philip II took over Portugal, this came at a time where he's fighting a war against England because of a split in the Christian religion. They have wars within themselves. And then you look at the Inquisition, you look at Portugal's role in the Inquisition and how many Jews were killed and displaced along with Spain and Italy, and which spread far and wide outside of Europe. So I think that's enough. This was, <laughs> this was supposed to be a football podcast, and I realized I've gone off track here and there. I couldn't spend three and a half weeks in Israel and not talk about religion. It's time now to get on to part two. I've got three conversations coming up with three very interesting people who are right in the heart of Portugal's squad in Israel. Tiago Sardo, press officer. Andre Reich, a analyst, and Luisa Nogueira, a journalist who you might have seen on Canal Ons. Enjoy part two. I'll catch you on the other side. Had a flag in the bassinet, oil and blood on the bayonet, crowded downtown, hit the floor. What are we? Very happy to be talking to Tiago Sardo, who is the press officer for Portugal's under-17 squad, and he did a fantastic job in Israel. Super, super busy. It's almost a 24-7 job. Tiago, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm fine, and you? Oh, man, I'm still, I'm still trying to get back to ground level after a long time in Israel. How are you going? Very happy to be back in uh, Portugal, I bet. I, I'm still sad that we didn't have the chance to, to, to play the final. So there's a, a little bit of uh, that feeling of unlock that we have. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I just keep seeing that penalty from uh, from Matisse tell over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah. It's just that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. Tiago, if you could just tell the listeners a bit about yourself, where you're from, and your earliest experiences with with the football, and then how you got to this position with the the, the under seventeen squad. I'm passionate about football since I I remember since I was a child. Uh, my family, especially my grandfather and my father. Uh, were crazy about football and they started to take me to the stadium, to Wifika Stadium. Started to watch the game and my first memory actually uh, of football was the death of um, Wifika football player, Miklos Fair. Uh, that was a tragic memory for me, but I think it was one of my first memories so far. So I think I created a connection with football since 2004. And then I started to to watch football and to to be more interested about uh, not only the Portuguese football but uh, international football as well. Started to see the Cristiano Ronaldo phenomenon in in Manchester United, uh, Luis Figo in Real Madrid, 
and then Rui Costa in AC Milan, I mean, uh, Deco in Barcelona, also start to collect uh, those stickers from World Cup and European Cups. I like to think myself as a bit of a collector. I, I'm sitting right here talking to you and I'm watching, I'm looking at my, my collections of stickers. It's also helped me to, to get more involved in football. When I decided to, to pursue a career in communication, uh, I, I've only this, uh, had football in my mind to, to start to work in the football industry, in the communication area, of course. And uh, when I finished college, I applied to an internship in uh, Portuguese FA. I started in March 2019. That's how I ended up in Israel in 2022. <laughs> so how long have you been with the under-17 squad then? I was with the team uh, in uh, qualifications phase and uh, elite round as well uh, in Nogarve and in Viseu. So I think it was natural for me to go to the, to the European Championship as well and to stay at the, with the team because they already know me and I was available at the, at the moment. So um, yeah, that's how I ended up there. Okay, so take us into the arriving in Israel then. I mean, how does it work with the hotel? Do you get to choose a hotel and uh, does do UEFA give you a list or they tell you where to go? And what was it like when you first arrived there with the whole squad and you realized that this is where you were going to be based? There, was, uh, there were three hotels, one for Group A, another one for Group B, and uh, another one for Group C and D. We were in Group D. I think we stayed in the biggest hotel, but the hotel was amazing. We loved, I think everyone loved to stay in Daniel Hotel in Erzlia. Uh, we were near the beach, we had the amazing facilities, good foods, the rooms were awesome and we were very glad to stay there. What sort of activities were you getting up to? Obviously the, the main game is, is obviously football with training and a lot of analysis I bet, but these young guys also need a bit of downtime. This, this tournament was the first time that we uh, took our um, professor in the, the team because these kids are, are studying, they have, they're going to have uh, final tests and they need to to pass the the year because uh, in Portugal there is a, an obligation to to complete the high school for everyone so that was the first time that we took a teacher with the team so we used to train every morning and in the afternoon the, the team was divided in two groups and uh, they were uh, doing some homework that they had, some uh, presentations they needed to prepare and present. Besides that, they were uh, together uh, all the time, playing, uh, sometimes uh, just chilling in the bedroom. We took some walks, we, sometimes we went to the beach. And yeah, we also went to Jerusalem, not when we arrived, but uh, a few days later when we, we arrived. It was a bit of tension because of that journalist that, uh, that died. Fortunately, we had the chance to, to go there and all went well. And uh, I think it was very good for the players to clean their heads, to contact with um, uh, different people, to contact with uh, a different environment, to learn more about the culture of Israel. And I think that always helps to motivate the team and to get away with uh, that pressure that the team always have when they are playing in a Euro Championship. Very interesting insight, Tiago. Take me into that trip to Jerusalem. How was it organized? Did you have a, a Portuguese-speaking guide? And, and how long, how many hours did you get to spend there with the team? Did uh, you need security? We always need a security uh, to come along with us when we do any activities um, outside the three-kilometer area from the hotel. Sometimes we, we thought that uh, it was a bit of exa exaggerated, but some, 
sometimes it is better to feel that than to have some trouble and think that maybe a security would be needed, right? So yeah, we went with security to, to Jerusalem. We didn't have any Portuguese guide. We had uh, our our TLO, Dan, shout out for Dan, actually. Dan always tried to to explain to us what was the um, uh, the things that we were seeing and to what we had what we needed to um, uh, to learn and to know about the 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 wall and the, the about the, the city and about everything fantastic and how was that for you personally so as a travel lover uh, i think jerusalem was always on my bucket list and to when we do that with an amazing group that that i had a chance to go with uh, it's even better. I don't go to the the church very often. I like to speak to God, but more uh, on a personal note. But before I I went there, I searched a little bit, and uh, I actually talked with my my grandfather and my grandmother, and they, uh, they I told them that I was going there, and they were really happy and really excited for me, and uh, they went to search uh, a bit more and to get to know more about the. The wall and the, the spirit of Jerusalem. Nice. And nice. the history. Yeah, it's, in a, it's a must see city, isn't it, for sure? And I'm, I'm glad yeah, that I yeah. was a bit worried when you told me that first uh, trip got, got called off because, you know, if you go all the way to Israel and, and you don't see Jerusalem, that's a huge uh, yeah. a huge disappointment. But even a couple of hours, it was good that the players at least got a taste of it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Tiago, just take me inside your job because it's just much more than a press officer, isn't it? I mean, I'm sitting there next to you, obviously, writing the match report. You're, uh, you're doing interviews. You're organizing players to talk to Louisa and other journalists like that. This, it's almost a nonstop job. I mean, you're there with the team in the hotel day and night, every day. I mean, how did you find it? And Can you just define all the things you do? Uh, I think so, yeah. So um, my job as a press officer is also a job as a content producer. So I have to... Uh, monetize the, the information that goes in newspapers, TVs, radios in Portugal and also abroad. Uh, they have to know what the, the media are saying about the players. I, I'm always in touch with the journalists that um, are uh, doing some reports of the team and some, uh, writing some news. I'm also a content producer for, uh, for a Portuguese FA website. Uh, I write the, the report of the match, I translate the, some of the interviews that the, the players give and put it online. Besides that, I always do a briefing uh, to the players of what the message we want to pass. And that message is always according with the, the head coach message. That message can can change uh, during the tournament. Besides that, I uh, do the management between the, the team and the Channel 11 canals. It is important for me also to to make things balanced between the players. I don't I don't like to put a player talking uh, eight times during um, a tournament and uh, have some player talking one or two. You know. They are kids. They all need to improve and to get used to the um, to the media activities. So uh, it is important to prepare the players as much as possible to do these kind of things. If they are not ready and prepared as soon as possible, when they reach top level and they can talk with the with the camera nearby or with some journalists, they're gonna have a hard time. I also uh, had to manage the, the photos of the team. I don't take the photos. I, and I also control the social media of the players. 
this this group is amazing because of that. They already know uh, what they can do, and let's imagine a group of players that uh, don't think about uh, what they post online. That can be very dangerous for us. So I have to always make sure that they are not putting some bad things uh, on social media. And uh, nowadays, it's it's really hard to to keep track of of everything of that. And uh, now I have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, TikTok, and let's multiply that for 20 players. It's hard to keep it up, but uh, well, I do I do my best. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. It is really important, isn't it, to give players experience in front of the camera and in front of the microphone. It's it's not easy, and uh, you know if you're a little bit shy, I'm sure a lot of these players are. Then it uh, it takes time. It takes time. But you know, being in that friendly environment with with Louisa, obviously she was right in there in in the camp so that makes it easier also so yeah it's really yeah. good to see i think it's fundamental and fortunately the players are getting more ready um, than the previous generations because they are already getting used to talk with uh, the tvs from the clubs and now in, uh, here in portugal we have btv uh, porto canal sporting tv so the main clubs have a tv channel and uh, we have also braga uh, that has an online uh, channel also with the with the canal 11, channel 11 it's easier now to to put the players in front of cameras and i, I even i even uh, noticed some improvements since the qualifying phase in in november f uh, to now so uh, i think the clubs uh, uh, really help here with that and if the the clubs don't help with the, this kind of uh, duties um, i think that would be much harder for us now was this your first tournament uh, tiago yeah yeah it was uh, i was already yeah, I was already abroad uh, with a, a women's uh, futsal national team October. I went to Croatia to qualify for the European Championship. So, yeah, that's uh, that was my my first experience as a press officer in um, in the European Championship. Fortunately, I had the chance to to have an amazing experience with a, a fantastic group of players, a fantastic staff. I'm really uh, grateful for this experience and I loved every second of it. Uh, I wish I could be uh, still in Israel with these guys. There wasn't a moment that I thought, okay, I didn't like that. Because even then, when that kind of things happen, I always took that as a, a, a lesson. This is almost pure football. You know, there's, there's just basically zero media expectation. There's zero media pressure. There's no VAR. You know, a large percentage of the people there are friends, family of, of the mm -hmm. players, all the staff, one huge family. You're making friends for life in, mm -hmm. in this sort of a situation. When the team plays well, you're with them. When they, when they you know, have a, have a poor game or something, then you're with them, you're supporting them. This under-17 championship for me was just just pure football, just, just pure yeah. back-to-basics football, but you still get that connection for your for your country, and and you still mm -hmm. feel like you're part of that family. Because I think with the with the Salasal, with the huge stadiums, and you know millions of people writing articles and tweeting about things, it's just it's hard to sort of appreciate it sometimes for that that family feel. Was that something maybe that you experienced also? Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, I, f I felt that uh, of course. I, I I talked with some of my colleagues there, and I told them that uh, I felt that no one in Israel uh, knew that the tournament was happening. But in Portugal, we felt that there was uh, really a good 
a good environment about the, the tournament. Even even without the the journalists went there because let's let's face it the the media in Portugal is uh, going some through uh, serious uh, issues uh, financially and economically. So I I don't think that they weren't interested in uh, doing the coverage of the tournament. I I just think that they were uh, they weren't able to do it because of uh, financial issues against Spain. Um, our match was uh, seen by half a million people, and in the last the last minutes we uh, almost had one million people watching the game. So uh, that is crazy for an under-17 tournament, uh, and we were we were really glad to to have that support from Portugal. The players knew about it, and they, they that was a motivation for them as well. And of course, I mean. Israel uh, isn't actually the nearest country of Portugal, so it was a bit hard to to take Portuguese people there, and th there is there isn't even uh, a lot of Portuguese people living there. To get some support from the stands was hard. Fortunately, we have the, the, some kids from Israel always cheering up for us, but to have some fans uh, from Portugal there, uh, it was really hard the, given the circumstances and uh, the distance. Oh, and it's the most expensive city and country yeah. on the yeah. planet. Besides I mean, that, besides that, I mean, it's 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 not. Uh, yeah, I mean, the distance is is one thing, and then it's the cost of it once you're there. Is it's it they don't make it easy. Unfortunately, the game in at all levels is made a lot, or it's designed more for television, uh, and that was definitely a problem with the the short space between the kickoff times, making it almost impossible for people to go to two games. Well, we're going to talk about football a little bit, Tiago. Okay. Obviously, I've gone through all the games in a lot of detail, but it's important we, I guess, talk about what happened in that France match because there was a few things that happened that were uh, unforgettable. The first one, I guess, was um, Dario Esugu. Isn't this just one of the fantastic things about the football, Tiago? Watching it on TV is, is, is also great, and, and a lot of people obviously don't have the ability to get to a lot of stadiums. So when you're in the stadium and something like that happens... You just know that this will be this moment will be living with you for the rest of your life. I mean, what a goal! Uh, I've already told him uh, twice that that was the best goal I've ever saw uh, in a stadium. When I watch the the goal, I still get amazed by but by how fast the ball went, how strength that he put it on that kick. Uh, it was truly amazing. One of the best moments that I. I have experienced in a, a football match, and Daru is a, an amazing player. Yeah, I mean, so many of these players are so talented. I mean, we just saw so much outrageous skill from Joao Belozo. Some of the stuff he was pulling off was uh, was incredible. I really want to talk to you about even Lima. Uh, first of all, how is he? I mean, how is he going there? So I think Ivan uh, is uh, is recovering well. Um, he came with us back to Lisbon. He went just uh, in the day after. Uh, he went to the hospital. He recovered well. He went to some, uh, through some exams. And uh, fortunately, it was just a scare. And now he's still recovering. Um, and uh, I don't know much details, but uh, I, I talked to, the, to him and he said he was uh, getting better and uh, waiting for, uh, for, the, for his return to the pitch. Oh, that's good to hear. And, uh, of course, I mean, this penalty, we, we've talked about it. Tell, <laughs> off the bar, off, uh, off Diogo, into the goal. Just, just, I just, I got no words to describe uh, how unlucky that is. And uh, 
you know, how is uh, Manuel Mendonca? Of course, it's, it's very difficult for an individual player when they are responsible in a way uh, for the, with the missed penalty. How is he? How is he going? Manuel is a, a confident player. He he knows that the penalty wasn't perfect. He actually he posted that on Instagram that he uh, just wants to get to the training session and to improve. And Manuel is is. Uh, Besides to be a, an amazing player, he is a fantastic person, and I'm sure that he will recover it. It's just one of those things in football. It's anyone could miss a penalty at any time, you know. But actually, yeah, in, in these, it's true. It, you could be four 0 up, and it doesn't mean anything. But um, yeah, when it's a penalty shootout and it's for your country and it's to, to stay in a tournament, then that's uh, that's brutal. So uh, yeah, good to hear that he's going well. Were the players able to go and see Ivan? Before they left? No, they didn't. They were always in touch with the, the nurse that stayed there. When the, the nurse told everyone that Ivan was fine, he was just sleeping, the exams were fine, tests were fine. To everyone to be together in that mon moment, because it was our hardest moment in the whole year. And uh, of, course, of course, it wasn't an ideal situation, but again, it is what it is. And we had to to uh, leave even there. We knew that he was in good hands with our nurse. Uh, but about the game, yeah, it was full of uh, stories to tell and uh, things to remember. I think I will remember this match uh, in my late 80s, 70s, <laughs> 90s. I mean, I won't forget ever this match because it was full of, uh, of stories. The Dario goal, Dario's goal, uh, the injury of uh, Afonso that was uh, being one of the best players of us. Then Evans' injury that scared a lot of, of us. Vivaldo's uh, missing header uh, near the, the end that uh, could have uh, put yeah. us into the final. Then the penalty. I mean, I think it was written in the stars that France would win this tournament. Uh, it had to be because the way that they reached semif semi-finals against Germany, it was written in the stars that they had to, to win the tournament. I, and I just hope that one day uh, it can be us to, to have that kind of luck. Oh, 100%. It's just, <laughs> and that's what, that's again, that's that's the other connection with, with the game that a lot of people just miss, you know, like, yeah. you know, the Selesau can, can exit a tournament, you know, by losing one game. But there's so many things that happen in a game that are mm -hmm. close calls, you know, and you just need one of them to, to go your way. And it's basically the the result is, is different. But, you know, yeah, some people get so obsessed with the result and, and jumping to these conclusions. These tournaments are brutal. I mean, you might have noticed me at the games, Tiago, I, I try and <laughs> after my, I just try and sort of stay in a, in a nice, calm way. Like inside, I might be going up and down, but I've learned now not to sort of get too high or too down. But trust me, I feel it. I feel it hard. Um, and once the, these things like these penalties happen, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm sort of like the aftershock. And the next day, it's, it's, it's full on. That was the, the things that we tried to, to pass the players after the match. I mean, like, like you said, one thing uh, different and we could have been in the, in the final. That's what we tried to, to pass the players, to uh, keep, your, keep their heads up to, and to know that we were always really proud of them of the team, of the group spirit they created, of the so much effort that they put on every single match, uh, even when they lost against Denmark, that wasn't that wasn't a lack of concentration or dedication. Uh, Denmark was better, period, and we 
kept believing, we kept trying to do our best to get memories to Portugal, to make Portuguese people happy. Uh, every single player there and every single staff member there tried to do that. Uh, even with the even injury, they tried to stay focused in the game. That wasn't really uh, the, the easiest thing to do. They, they are just 16 years old and they were real heroes for us in Israel. 100%. And you can see how well the Portuguese Federation is doing off the field, as you mentioned, with, with the attention to the schooling, media mm -hmm. training, turning these young boys into really solid men and individuals, humble, exactly. respectful, exactly. and really understanding that they are, they are the role models of the future and, mm -hmm. and really getting them prepared for their professional careers. And I'm sure that we're going to see a few of these guys you know, in the Salesal jersey and playing for some top clubs at some point. But I think it's also mm -hmm. important not to put any pressure on these kids. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let them do their thing. Uh, we all know how talented they are and uh, th their time is going to come. What's next for you, Tiago? You've got some stuff going on there, you said, with the women's football, but you must be looking forward to some beach action coming up in uh, August now. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be organizing the Lopes de Silva tournament, an inter-association tournament uh, with the, the first uh, uh, teams of under-15 under national teams. The, the head coaches are going to be there watching the future talents of our country. Uh, after that, they will uh, start to choosing the best to be part of the under-15 national team. Uh, I'm going to, to be in the north of Portugal to be organizing the um, uh, Women's Futsal Euro. And after that, let's see what the, the future brings, what activities. Yeah, of course, I'm looking forward to the um, uh, beach soccer uh, events. Portugal uh, is a winner team in that category as well. So uh, maybe if we could add some trophies to, the, to our history, it would be, it would be great. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a lot more trophies going in Portugal's football cabinet. I mean, they just, you can really see these kids are getting such a good football education. Just so talented along with those other teams that we've seen always strong at these levels. Your, your Spain, your France, your Netherlands. It just keeps happening and it just ensures that Portugal are going to be competitive at every level. And uh, it's really great to see. It's been really great to talk to you again, Tiago, and so nice to meet you there in Israel and, uh, and share so many memories with you. I wish you all the best, and uh, I look you, forward you to uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be joined by Andre Reich, who was an analyst at the Under-17 European Championship. Andre, how are you, mate? Happy to be back in Portugal, I bet. Yeah, very happy, Matthew. It was a pleasure to meet you then in, in the Euro, and it's now a pleasure to be here talking to you. Thanks, mate. Tell me, where were you from, and uh, what are your early experiences with the beautiful game? I'm, I'm from Portugal, from Lisbon, a small town near to Lisbon, and yeah, football is in my life since I remember. Of course, everyone remembers the Euro 2004, it's where I remember to meet football, it's there, it's my first 
memories of football starts starts in, the, in that hero. From there, I just keep thinking about the game and playing. I play for 12 years in some local clubs. Then I realized that my food were not so good, so I <laughs> just left that idea and uh, start to study the game. I made a degree at the Faculdade Nutricidade Humana, FMH. Then I made a master in football and at Lusófona, also in Portugal. And basically that's my path. The, the opportunity of being at the Portuguese Football Federation came up and yeah, I'm here. How long have you been with the Federation now? Uh, from three years, three years now, yeah. Okay, and this tournament was... It's my first, really, it's my first uh, experience in a final stage like this and yeah it was it was for me it was like a uh, first experience oh wow e excellent okay well let's get into your world then Andre of course I saw you there with your cameras recording the games and you also had some uh, you're obviously able to talk with the staff down there on the bench so take me through the pre-game so you're, you're analyzing the opposition but how does it work as far as getting that information to players uh, we prepare everything. We saw all the teams before the tournament. So we, uh, once we start the camp for this final stage of the Euro, we have seen all the teams. So all the material was prepared before the before the tournament. We analyze all the matches. We do the cuts. We choose the images to show the, to the players, just to try to pass a clear message each of our opponents. Then when, since we arrived at the Euro, it was like uh, me and another coach go to a match, saw the opposite team, do the live coding, choose the images, and then we go to our match. And that's basically the sequence in a, in a short way. I can't go very deep in this, but our type of analysis basically is decompose the team in what they are offensively, defensively, in the transitions and set pieces, basically is this. Then we mount a video report, uh, me and the coach, basically that's it. During the Euro, we just need to add some new info that was happening in the games of the group stage. Now that's, that's really interesting. I wanted to focus in on what happened after the Denmark game and get a really good idea of what happens after a game and, and those two days or so before the next game. So obviously we saw Portugal winning 1-0 against Denmark. The second half didn't go so well. So. Obviously, you take all that image of the match against Denmark. I'm really interested to know what happens then the next day. Can you take me back what sort of messages and what sort of ideas were, were coming across? Yeah, as you said, the second half of that game was not so good from us. But I need to say that Denmark, for me, is one of the best team playing, at least offensively, with the ball. They were, they were really, really good. And you were there, you saw it. They were very, very good. But our second half, is, it was not so good. And, and because of that, we lost the match and uh, finished in second in the group. So we crossed against Spain. We had played Spain in a small tournament in February in Portugal. So basically what the coach wanted to do, it was remember that game because that game was so well prepared, uh, even though we, we lost 3-2. But the game was so well prepared and we have done a, a really good exhibition that we just want to take that and transport that to the Euro to make the boys believe that they could do it. What we have done in the Denmark's match, we analyzed it, but as you are in these final stages and the, the time that you have is so short, we have just two days, you, you, you really cannot focus your attention in the past game. You need to focus your attention on the next game. So since the, the match uh, finished with Denmark, we try to analyze what we have done not so good try to pass that to the players in the group setting and uh, and then focus on Spain try to bring the good things that we've done against them in February put them on the screen 
to the players saw themselves doing that things and in, in my opinion it was like more mentally than than tactical or something because the players know for sure and know very well what they need to do to win so it was like prepare them mentally to a tough match because against Spain is always a tough match and make make them forget what was the Denmark's match and focus on uh, on, on the Spain match. That game against uh, Spain in the Algarve really was beneficial, wasn't it, to uh, to being able to put that disappointment of the Denmark result behind them and knowing that they could compete against Spain and as you said, just, just look forward and start preparing for the next match. Now, if we can go ahead to the next game, obviously Portugal won that match 2-1. And then the next match was against uh, against France. Take me then down to the pitch, Andre, and uh, how do you and the support staff go about trying to tell these players that they've done a great job and you're proud of them? And uh, how do you help them recover from the disappointment of exiting the tournament in that way? Yeah, it was it was a tough one, that penalty. We could be here like 20 years and don't even see again a penalty like that. <laughs> the boys need to understand that if they want to be professionals, this is going to be their life. After that, we just, it's, it's, it's quite difficult. It's, it's support the boys, tell them that we are very proud. What they did and in this Euro, it was, it was astonishing. I, I don't have even words because France, it, it's, it's a great, great team. Very physical too. What boys did in the, in the field, in the, mainly in the second half, even after the, the injury of Ivan, they, they fight back. We had the chances to score. We could win the match, it goes to penalties. And I don't like to say that it's luck, but uh, in that case, it's it's difficult not to say that. <laughs> it's difficult not to say that. But it, France it's bad luck. To... Bad luck yeah. on the highest on the highest possible way. Um, yeah, that's football, mate. That's football, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's just just the way it goes. But as you say, getting that far was certainly an achievement in itself. I thought the players did really well to uh, to get through that second half after seeing even getting stretched off. That must have been brutal for for these young men to to see that and and to then have to get their minds back on the game. It was a, a learning yeah. curve uh, in a massive way, that game, and dealing with that adversity, and of course, dealing with the heartbreak of exiting a tournament in such yeah, a dramatic way. Our focus, of course, not in the, the seconds after the, the final whistle, of course, but our thoughts in the, in the bus and in the way back home, these boys need to prepare themselves for what's coming, and what's coming is next under 19 Euro. And we are already thinking about it, we are already uh, preparing uh, ourselves for it because in Portuguese Football Federation it's always like that you lose one you are running after the next one it's 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 like this the boys did a fantastic job at these under 17 euro we didn't accomplish our goal but our main goal but let's think in the next and prepare the boys for the under 19 euro that's it mate that's it now I know that you don't like to really focus in on any individual player and you and the whole support staff there. It is always about the group. But I mean, I can't, I can't give up this opportunity <laughs> on today talking to you have such a, such a detailed and, and, and close relationship with the players. So if it's okay, I'd really like to just get a bit of insight into some of the, the players. Obviously, the, one of the obvious ones is uh, Diogo Monteiro. He's the centre-back and, and the captain, born in Switzerland, still living there. So that's a, an interesting part of him just from, from that perspective. But can you give us a little bit of an insight into the character and, and talk a little bit about Diogo as a, as a young man? He's our captain and he's the most international boy at the under-17s. He was at the under-15 
even when they even when he was uh, under under 14 boy is a guy that the other boys look at him and see uh, an example you know for the way that he always look through the challenges inside the match and of course outside in his life so it's if i had to describe him quickly it was like an example for for the other boys interesting what about dario sugo obviously he has that experience uh, at sporting club de portugal played a few minutes for them he dropped down from the uh, the under 19 squad that failed to qualify he was a really important player and that goal he scored was just something that you'll never forget i'm sure it was probably the most wonderful goal that we saw live uh, dario is a, a really humble boy uh, even though they are they, they they have minutes played by the the a team of sporting they are they are very humble and uh, it was very good to have him with us because he he brings a lot to the to the group is very humble. He, he is a, a very hard worker. It was very important for us to have to have him with us in the group. He didn't play with with his under 17 generation a lot because he he was always in the under 19 or in the under 18. But the boys know him. He fit in the group really well, really well. And the wingers, Afonso Moreira, even Nima, Rodrigo Ribeiro, they were all really impressive. All scoring a lot of goals. It must have been a very difficult decision for. Jose Lima to, to pick two of them. The three of them were so good. The three of them scored. So it was it was really difficult for the coach. And that's the the kind of difficulties that we like. You know, the coach said that it was difficult not just to choose the wings. It was difficult to choose every positions uh, because all of them made a fantastic season and they arrive at this final stage of the Euro at their best. So it was really difficult to choose each and every one of the of the players. So much good competition for players, as we're seeing in almost every of these youth levels for Portugal. And there's just so much talent coming through. It's just, it's just incredible. We had that conversation. I wonder if we could just bring that to the listeners. If you remember, I mentioned to you that it's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, how certain countries tend to, you know, perform really well at these levels consistently. And Portugal now is definitely one of those nations. There is a fair bit of discussion about the top three clubs in Portugal and how dominant they are. But one benefit of that, I think, that you're seeing is that their youth academies uh, are producing all of these players. So that seems to be, to me, a little bit of a connection. Yeah, as I said to you, uh, it, what the boys and what the boys done in the Euro, and uh, the level that they that they present, club's responsibility, of course, is there is the, the the place that the boys are for for a long time. That is where they grow. In Portugal, as you said, we have like three main clubs but Braga is now a fourth main club too. Uh, have all the boys in these four, four clubs not so good for the internal competition but for federation as other side of the, the coin too that that is the the players know that themselves very well you just you, you have some kind of synergies between them and you just need to potentialize that kind of uh, of synergies between the players that used to play together for example you you, you can have uh, uh, I don't know, Ivan Lima and Juan Conceição in a, in a corridor, both playing in, in, a, in Benfica, for example. You can have a midfield composed by João Veloso and Dussumane Jaló, both in Benfica too. Rodrigo Ribeiro and Afonso Moreira, both in sporting, in the wings. So this kind of synergy is very good. And in the federation, what, what I think the coaches try to do is potentialize at maximum this kind of synergies. So it has, the coin has two faces as we say in Portugal. Yeah, and I definitely didn't want to uh, disrespect Braga. Braga is a club 
I have a lot of uh, respect for. Yeah. And of course, Joao Vasconcelos and Denis Rodriguez, definitely two players with uh, with a lot of talent. And I hope they stay in Braga for many years and we get to see them come through the grades there. I just want to ask you a general question, Andre, and that is why we hardly saw any clean sheets from any team in this tournament. Tactically, give us some insight into why that would be. We can't forget that we are talking about the under 17 euro. So the boys are 16, 17 years. So it's normal to make mistakes. Okay. Even though we are talking about the, the high level f- football at their ages, it's normal that they make mistakes. So I think probably that's why you don't see a clean sheet. You, you just need to make a small mistake for the other team score because the other teams are very good, mainly with the ball. Probably defensively is all of these boys, even Portugal, Spain, Spain is the same, Italy, France, all the boys playing the best clubs of their countries. And in that clubs, mainly with the ball. And they are not very exposed in a, in a defensive way, I think. So when, when they face other teams that are so good with the ball as, the, as they are, defensively they are a little bit more exposed. So as I said, a small mistake could result in a goal. I think that's the main reason we didn't see a clean sheet. Yeah, it makes, it makes a whole lot of sense, yeah. We've just talked about the benefits of having all these players concentrated in four clubs, but that also might be uh, one of the negative aspects, as you say, is that they're not exposed to those top-level attacks week in, week out. I'm interested, Andre, in your experience in Israel. Obviously, it's a, it's a lot different from Portugal. And uh, how did you go there? How did you... Uh, how did you understand the country and what did you take away from it outside of football? I didn't have much more time to enjoy the country, really because the work and the hours that I spent on in front of the computer. But yeah, we, we had the, the pleasure to, to visit Jerusalem and it was like a, a really, really good experience. I don't know if this is going to be a good thing for your podcast because I really don't enjoy nothing uh, besides Jerusalem because I was constantly working. I, I sleep like three, four hours per night in that <laughs> month. So yeah, as you could see, I, I, our hotel, our first hotel was in front of the beach, a beautiful beach with a beautiful swimming pool. And I just went to the beach once and it was in the day that we arrived. So it was quite difficult, but uh, it is what it is. So I, I don't know if this is going to be good for you. <laughs> no, that's totally understandable, mate. And I think a lot of the people yeah, they just don't understand how many hours goes in behind the scenes. You and other analysts just, you know, watching as much as you can to try and, you know, transmit that through the coach, as you say, to the players, because it might just be one little thing that happens in a game that makes a difference. In these competitions, all, all details, all details matters. It's you, you can you can decide the match by a, a small detail. So exactly jerusalem is a must-see city mate and i guess as long as you manage to get there that's the main thing you can always go back <laughs> another yeah, time if you want to see some more I, I would like it i would like because mainly jerusalem is it's it's really it's really pretty it's i i never been in a place like that the people and the people there are so nice it was it was a really good experience i hope to come back to israel uh, one day because the people are so nice i love the beach but i just saw it through my room window, so, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a lot of reasons to go back then, Andre. What's coming up? Are you going down to the Algarve for some summer holidays? Something like that, yeah. Still still in, in some small holidays now, just to recover from the Euro. Next week, I'm going to start working in the next season. 
and then the the Portuguese Football Federation stops for uh, some weeks to vacations, and we're on on the next season. Enjoy your holidays. You certainly uh, earned it and deserve it. It's yeah. uh, it's been so nice speaking to you and getting some of that inside information into into your world. And uh, I really look forward to seeing you again when the Portugal take the field. Yeah, thank you so much once again, Matthew. It was a really pleasure to to be here talking to you. I'm very happy to be speaking with Luisa Nogueira, who is a journalist, a television journalist for Canal 11. Luisa, how are you? Hello, Matthew. I'm fine. Yes, I'm really happy to be in Portugal again. I was uh, really enjoying to stay in Tel Aviv, watching the European uh, Championship under 17, but now I'm, I'm glad to be back. Just take me into your childhood, if you can, and just give the listeners a little bit of an overview of where you're from and uh, how you fell in love with football. I born in Guimarães. always loved football. I mean, uh, the first memories that I have of football, of course, it's uh, the 2004 European Championship because that time Hero uh, was organizing in Portugal. That's the the first memory I have of football. And I always spend a lot of time seeing uh, Vitoria de Guimarães. All of my childhood was playing football with my cousins, uh, boys, of course. Uh, and yeah, football always been a part of my life. And I really enjoy the game and uh, the people supporting their teams. It's amazing to watch games and I always love football. Well, I was trying to forget about 2004, Louisa, but... Um... It's, my, it's my first real memory, and I remember uh, a lot of the games, and I think uh, for the most people of my age, uh, 2004 Euro, it's the, it's the thing, you know? Yeah, a huge moment for the country, wasn't it, hosting yeah. that tournament? It was sad because we lost the, the final to Greece, <laughs> but uh, it was a big moment for, for Portugal. For sure. Now take me a little bit into your professional career and how you got to the position you're in now. I always wanted to do radio, but I mean, radio didn't want anything to do with me. So I start writing newspaper from Guimarães about all of the, the teams, you know, wasn't only sports. And then this opportunity to Canal appears. I didn't want to miss the opportunity because it was like a national channel. And for my career, I thought, okay, this is great. Probably more effort for me because I, I had to learn more uh, specific things about football. And as a journalist, we have to study all the time. So, yeah, it's football. I like football. Three years passed. So I'm really happy to be on Canal to be a part of the Federation Portuguese of Football family. And I couldn't be more happy. Well, that's obvious. Looking at you, Louise, you've always got a big smile on your face. Just loving yeah. life. It's, it's great to see now. Take me through to the, the moment when you uh, got the call and uh, told you will be going to Israel. Oh, I, I was at home, <laughs> like in the same room I, I am now. And my, one of my bosses uh, told me, oh, do you have something to do uh, on late May? And I was like, oh, I, I think I have a party, but what are you going to ask me? And he said, do you uh, want to follow 
our under 17 team. I think it's a great opportunity for you. It's your first European tournament. So I immediately say, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I, I didn't know a lot of players at the time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to search a little bit more of them. But yeah, it was like, uh, I get a call. Do you want to go? And I was like, immediately say, of course. So that was after the elite round? Yeah, it, it was after the elite round. And my, my boss told me immediately that probably you're going to be on Israel at the, at the end of the tournament because this, uh, kids had a lot of potential so they are players with much talent and he already warned me like you're probably going to be in Israel at the end of the tournament. Take me into then I guess you get closer to the team and so what sort of things are you doing that we don't see on camera? When the team reunited here in Portugal because they were together since the 2nd of May and I was with them too because they uh, they did a training camp here on uh, Lisbon in Cidade do, do Futebol. And I was like already doing interviews with them, with the coach. So I was following them already before we uh, traveled to Tel Aviv. You arrive in Israel and you were, you were staying in a different hotel to the team. Is that it? And then basically traveling in completely different ways. Yeah, the the hotels were, it wasn't easy because the traffic in Tel Aviv, it's chaotic. Every single time that we have to locate to their hotel, we spend a lot of time in traffic. But, I mean, the hotel where we stayed was really on the center of Tel Aviv. It was like downtown Tel Aviv. Really beautiful. Really, uh, it's a living city, you know, like many people. That that was was a nice surprise. So take me through a normal game day. You're there at the stadium very early. You're doing a yeah. lot of work there and then you're watching the game, getting as much information as you can so you can prepare your questions. Just take me through a normal game day for you. A normal game day, it was like being there like an hour before or an hour and a half. We doing live standings to Portugal because they want to know the initial teams, what's happening in the in the stadiums, how I I'm seeing the team, you know, like their spirit. After the game, we always in interview two players and the the coach, of course. I was always talking to Tiago Sardo, talking about who's going to be the best player to talk at the end of the game. They need to, to know how to speak in front of the cameras. It was like an experience for me and for the players was really important too. Sure, sure. And so in between the game days, you were attending pretty much all the training sessions, were you, yeah. and, and press conferences yeah. and all that stuff. So yeah. basically right in the heart of that squad. Yeah, all of the trainings, we were there. And uh, we were there at the beginning and until the end, you know, like it wasn't like, oh, you just have 15 minutes to, to be here, to take image. No, we were in all of the time at the the training. And that was amazing because I think I, I did better job because they let me be in all of the trainings it helped me a lot because i could watch all of the the training all of the exercises all of the reaction of the players and i think that helped me a lot louisa i'm interested to know what did you learn about this team and these players that you maybe you didn't consider before you got on that plane to tel aviv i'm going to to use this expression but don't get me wrong but i'm in love with these players you know like they were 
so nice. And I think we we do have to say this because we are talking about uh, 70-year-old kids, you know, like they were really nice to me, always with a smile on their faces. They are really good players. Like it's pure talent. I mean, I've always been in love with these guys. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of the things I learned from the under-21 European Championship in Slovenia was that obviously they lost the final. That was disappointing. But yeah. Louis George just stressing that his job is not just a football job. The job is to turn these young boys into men, to men and, yeah. and show them the right path and how to be respectful, how to represent their nation. You know, it's a multifaceted type approach. And obviously yeah. it seems like you really got a, a bird's eye view of that in, in Israel. Yeah, and I, I mean uh, one thing that I should say too is the coach, José Lima was really amazing. All of the, the people that were working on the team, I think it's it was really a nice oiled machine, you know, like they were like happy to go to work every day. They were always with a smile on their faces. The coach was really nice to us talk with us after the interviews it, it was uh, like an open coach that we don't see much on football uh, sometimes in football people don't get as many open or being honest with us like we want to i was really surprised because jose lima was like always ready to answer any doubt that i have always made us uh, like me and my colleague always like we feel part of the the team and that was a, a really nice surprise really good to hear what i was thinking in the last couple of days about one of the things i learned i mean i agree with you i, I chatted with uh, martin fernandez after uh, yeah. the sweden game and just standing next to him it's just thinking to yourself he's, he's just a kid he's just a baby martin was the the youngest player of of the team uh, because Mart uh, they all born in 2005, and Martin was the only one that was born in 2006. So he was really the younger player at the Portuguese team. Yeah, I mean, just as you know, standing next to them, talking to them, it just really drives it home and, and just how young they are. One thing I've been thinking of, Louisa, is, as you mentioned, the, the closeness of the of the group there players, coaches, support staff, even you, everybody involved in it. It's it's a family and being on this trip, being part of this experience in Israel will, I'm sure, mean that you share this, this bond, you know, and you're going to share this forever. Now I'm on vacation because I think I, I deserve it too. Uh, but when I go back to work, uh, all of the, the people work there. It's not on the same building, but sometimes we, you know, found each other and I'm really curious to find these people. I think it's going to be like a party when I when I see them again, you know, like because I, I really felt like I was part of the, the family and that is really, really good. I, I'm not going to forget any of the this part of this experience, you know, because it was really important to me. Yeah. And I think that family feel, even if you're a even if you're a supporter, obviously most of the people there are friends and family of the players, yeah. but even if you're just a supporter or, or even like me, I'm a little bit more on the outside of it. But when something like that happens to even Lima, everybody yeah. is sharing in that pain. Everybody is feeling yeah. that hurt. I think it, it, it kind of puts into perspective for me how a lot of people associate with the senior team. These tournaments, these youth tournaments, being part of it, it really helps you to understand that 
it's a connection. It's it's a family. You're all there together. You're all supporting the team. And I think that yeah. can get a little bit lost with a senior team. I think if you can get to some of these youth tournaments, it sort of brings everything back to basics. I, I couldn't say uh, better. You know, like it's uh, you said what I what I think. Uh, sometimes uh, you know football, like when we play on the senior teams and we play in the um, higher competitions. Uh, sometimes we feel like that environment it's more close, but being part of the, this experience was like uh, it was really something that I, I'm not going to to forget because when I say that I, I feel part of the family, I, I'm going to tell you one thing that happened before the the last game. Uh, we didn't know that will be the last game against France. And the coordinator of the delegation. He invited us to dinner with the rest of the team. That was like a big thing for us. And then in the end of the dinner, he made a speech saying thanks to us for our job. And he was like, you guys are really part of this team. And then a round of applause happened. All of the players and all of the team were clapping to us. So, I mean, that was a big moment for me. And I... It's the best best example that I could give you to tell how important this experience was for me. Oh, that's nice. Uh, really, that's great to hear. Can you just think of maybe one more moment you had with the players, something that, that sticks out as a memory for you? Oh, the, the players were really interesting in my job and my cameraman job. When we were uh, waiting for We Go Live, the players passed by us and they were like oh can you borrow me your microphone and then they go to the camera and they were like interviewing uh each other and i was like oh my god these kids are really interesting in my job and they were like like this like they were so nice and they really mature I feel like I was a friend with them, you know. Yeah, I was part of that little craziness. And they were, like, doing with each other interviews. And I was like, that was pretty fun. I'm not, not going to forget about that moment. Sure, sure. Well, unfortunately, Louisa, we have to mention the result. I, I still can't believe the penalty from uh, Matisse Tell. Yeah. That's another thing that gets lost sometimes. The result of a game, and whether you stay in a tournament or leave a country the next day and go home, all the things that happened for that penalty to hit the bar, yeah. go back into Diogo Fernandes and then into the goal. Yeah. I was sad, but I was really uh, proud of what we did, you know? Like, okay, it's uh, in the penalties, it's a lottery, you know? Like, every team can win. I mean... It's a, it's really a, a lottery, and at the end, I was like, I'm sad for for them because I I saw the players crying, and it was really sad to me. But I mean, the the proud feeling was more intense than the sadness. I, I don't know if I'm exactly here. exactly, and, that, and that's very important, isn't it? I'm positive that uh, in a few years, many of these players played in the biggest teams in Portugal or maybe in the biggest championship in Europe I, I don't doubt that I really believe in the in the players potential yeah 100% my life changed a little bit one day there at the under 20 world cup when Portugal got uh, knocked out in the group stage and uh, Jota yeah. missed, missed a penalty in that that match 
I'd talked with him in the previous game in the mix zone, so usually I don't talk to players if if they've lost a game. But I thought I would just make my way to the mix zone there and see if I could catch someone, and Jota came past, and um, obviously this is an hour after the game now. He's he's got changed. He's on his way to the bus. He was just crying uncontrollably still at that moment. You could just see that the weight of that missed penalty and and yeah. he felt like he let his team down all the all the family and friends and almost an entire nation at that moment I changed my perspective in a few ways and I'm sure you probably saw a little bit of that after that result against France just, just take me take me into if you can just explain what it's like for these players once that penalty goes in and and they know that this tournament is over at the end at the, the time we go to penalties I was down the field I saw the penalties uh, right there in the field behind the players on the bench and all of the the team I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't look in the last penalty. And I just remember friends celebrating our players bent down on on their knees and really crying. And I mean, uh, I remember the face of Manel Mendonça. I think that's the the image that I remember better. Seeing the, the French players celebrating and our team like in tears because they really want to win this tournament that was the the goal but plenty of years ahead of them and they're going to win sometimes they're going to lose sometimes i mean it's hard because we are representative um, a country uh, we are there to represent portugal i mean it's really sad but i just see talent <laughs> when i look at them I just see a lot of talent. Yeah, of course, and that pride that you mentioned before is is really the overriding emotion. Yeah. And I think it's also important not to put a really any pressure on these guys. I mean, it, it's it's clear that they all have a lot of talent. Trabaloso and and yeah. all of the attacking players. I mean, all, all three wingers, Dinish, Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, I mean, Dario Asugu, Jalo, Diego Mont. I mean, you can just go on and on. There's not there's not really any need to single any players out at this stage just let's see where they end up that's pretty much um, the way I'm approaching it you know I couldn't say better <laughs> okay Louisa now let's just get your uh, your thoughts on Israel of course it's a particularly challenging part of the world it's uh, yeah. a million miles away from Portugal just give me a little bit of your insights and the things you saw and experienced in the Holy Land we spend most of our time in Tel Aviv Uh, one day we uh, visit Jerusalem and I think people are just really nice. Big smiles, you know, like they they were really nice to us. I think it's a, it's a nice people we found uh, on Tel Aviv. The food is really expensive and the traffic is chaotic. <laughs> but I mean, it's a, it's a happy city. If, if you are rich, you can travel to Tel Aviv and spend a really nice vacation on Tel Aviv. <laughs> But if you're not rich, I mean, there are probably some other locations that it's probably better for your vacation. But it was a, a nice city and I really enjoyed to, to be there. And how was Jerusalem for you? How, how did you... How did you go about seeing it? How much time did you have there and, and how did it affect you in any way? Uh, we spent there like an afternoon because we spent like two hours to get there because the traffic was uh, once more uh, chaotic. But it was really strong part of the history and to be there, it was like, oh God, this is really strong. You know, it's something that I'm I'm not going to to forget. 
I bought I bought some souvenirs to my grandparents. <laughs> it was it was something that maybe I think even uh, not religious persons would if they were there they're going to to feel something because it's it's strong. It is. It is. It's uh, it's a must see city, really, isn't it? In many yeah. ways, important to to see that. Jerusalem yeah. when you're there and I'm glad you got to do it and the players managed to, to get there. Sometimes it's not possible to see Jerusalem depending on what day you yeah. might happen to be there. Yeah. So. But I think if you are in Israel, even for, for the players, it's important to, to visit because it's a, a one-time opportunity and I think the Portuguese team uh, made the right decision to, to get us visit Jerusalem. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Louisa, so what's next for you? I'm guessing um, some sunshine and some beach, uh, a little bit of uh, relaxation, but what's coming up for you professionally? I, I got a, a little days off, but before I went to Israel, I was following a team that was in the fourth division. Okay, what club is that? Pir uh, Pinheiro. It's here from, from Lisbon, and I was showing what they do in the amateur football, you know, like because they were not professional. So I was following their daily basics. And now I'm just doing it all in a grand reportaging that I couldn't translate that to. Okay, so you're basically doing a report on what it's like in the, in the fourth division or in the lower divisions outside of the professional exactly. game. Exactly, exactly. But many teams in the fourth division are professional. I just picked a team that wasn't at all professional because the players, all of the players work at the day and at night they were training. Is that going to be on Canal Ons or is that a, something separate? Yeah, in, in Canal Ons. It's a big report, you know, like... Okay, <laughs> like a short documentary maybe. Yeah, like yeah, like a short documentary, yeah. So, so when I get back to work, I mean, I'm going to spend my days looking at the computer, editing that mm -hmm. short documentary. Oh, that sounds good, and uh, hopefully people can uh, can get on and, and see that. And what's happening for you next season? Do you know yet, or are you waiting for the next call from your from your manager there? <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know because in in here in Canalons, we uh, try to give all of the people opportunities. So, I mean, I have already my opportunity. So probably it's going to be another person that uh, could uh, follow a team and be with a team in an in a international championship. You know, I have my opportunity. I didn't bring the trophy back home. <laughs> uh, so they're probably going to give the opportunity to, to other journalists. But, uh, I mean, okay. here in Portugal, there are many teams and football. It's like one of the greatest things here in, in Portugal. So, I mean, work, it's, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> As, yeah. as always. Sure, yeah. I mean, Canal Ons does so, such a great job bringing the lower leagues uh, yeah, to people yeah. and also, as you, as we just found out, the, the youth tournaments, they're doing a great job in, in, uh, in so showing much. that and uh, you're a big part of that. So, Louisa, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Really wish good, you all Matt. the best. Oh, thank you so much. I wish you all the best too. Thank you, Matthew. Even now, the world is bleeding. Feeling just fine I'll know me not castle Where we're always free to choose Never free enough to find I wish something would break 
Cause we're running out of But I'm parking this open space, blocking the gate. 